Welcome back to my podcast, The Fan of the People. This is episode four. Apologies for the one week break last week, but I'm glad to be back for all you guys. And we got a great show for you guys today and this week. Hope you all enjoy. Peace. So Philly got crushed last night, and I've been saying this for the past few years that I hate their GM, I hate their head coach, Doug Peterson, and I hate their owner. But their QB is really, really good. Carson Wentz is a beast. I'm not going to I'm not going to debate that. But you know what Philly has become? I think I think they're very overrated. They don't have a scary running back. Their secondary is absolutely pathetic. Their wide receivers aside from Alshon Jeffrey are pathetic. The pass rush is very overrated as I have not seen them do much over the last few games. And to me when I watch this team, I get kind of the feeling that these guys just don't want to be out there. They don't want to play. Miami is awful. Miami's the worst team in the league. But I respect the Dolphins because they still play hard and they still fight, even though the chances of them winning are very slim. In life, did you ever like know someone who was just a normal person, normal guy, never had a big pay, never got that big paycheck, never got that big raise, just did their job, and then suddenly, you know, one day, they got they got their big paycheck, and now they think that, oh, they have the power to tell everyone how to do their job, right? Did you ever know that person? Well, if you haven't, they're the Eagles now. Congratulations, Eagles. You won your first Super Bowl two years ago. Have a parade. Woohoo! Yay, yay. Whoopty frickin' do, the Eagles finally got one. Yippee. The funniest thing about it is that after they won, Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Eagles, actually wrote a book. He actually wrote a book, and it's... He, he didn't title it this, but basically what Orr was saying is, here's how to win Super Bowls. Barf. Give me a break. You're 12, you're 12 and 11 since winning the Super Bowl. Have a parade about that. I'll admit, it's fun when your team wins. You know, I should know. I'm a Boston sports fan. Nobody likes to see their team lose or their city lose. It's not fun when the Eagles are playing with their, fr- with their fan base, and I'll explain to you what that means overhyping games, stuff like that. I think Philly fans are funny. They usually are pretty smart about what they're talking about. They're quick to tell me about Carson Wentz and how they love him. And I love Carson Wentz too. They're quick to tell me about Super Bowl 51 and how, you know, the Eagles beat the Patriots, all this stuff. I don't know, Super Bowl 52, I'm sorry. But I think Eagles fans are getting completely brainwashed by the horrible public relations, horrible media from Jeffrey Lurie, Doug Peterson, and Howie Roseman. And I imagine it's not fun for Eagles fans to be really excited one week and then get blown out the next. To no fault of their own, because Eagles fans will continue to support the team, obviously, no matter what happens. That's what fans do. But I'll describe the Eagles as the ride in Disney World, such as the Tower of Terror, right? All of a sudden, you're in a small elevator shaft, you're in your seat, and at any moment, you could be plummeting down or skyrocketing up in the air, right? The first game that the Eagles had against the Redskins, I would describe it as the opening part of the ride of the Tower of Terror. The opening part of the ride basically is where they take you through a little scary introduction of some glass breaking, you know, E equals MC squared, like just a Twilight Zone Tower of Terror intro, basically, right? And so you can brace yourself for the whole ride the season. The Redskins game was scary, in my opinion, because... You only beat them by five points. At the beginning of the year, people were picking the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl. And you beat the Redskins, who, in my opinion, are the number 31 team in the league. Right above the Miami Dolphins, but not by much. And you beat them by five points. 
And of course, you know, the Eagles organization started brainwashing its fans to feel the same way. The next game, they lose to the Falcons by four points. And now the ride has just begun. Now you're plummeting about two, two stories down. Nothing major, but a loss is a loss. And then you lose to the Lions. Now you're plummeting down about five stories at this point. You know, you lost to the Lions. The Lions are a good team with a great head coach. But Philly fans were so brainwashed by the organization and the media. And people were telling them, oh, people were telling me, oh, yeah, this is about to be a blowout. We're going to destroy the Lions. They have no one good on their team. We're going to just tear them up. And then they, they proceeded to lose. Let's just say those fans were talking as proud the next day. And uh, that's usually how it goes. And then the Eagles beat the Packers, which was a very great, was a very, it was a very good game. Two great quarterbacks facing off, Aaron Rodgers and Carson Wentz. Then the Eagles soared, okay? The Eagles flew five stories up, okay? They got that win, I'll give it to them. They won that game, they just shot right back up. And then, you know, the Eagles, I'd say after that, they moved up five stories. And then now, this is where I find the Eagles organization so funny and dysfunctional. So they beat the Jets, right, without Sam Darnold, without half, basically, half the Jets team was basically on the IR, basically weren't even there. And then after that game, Eagles fans are saying, oh yeah, we can, we, we can easily beat the Vikings, having just beat the Packers and Jets. And the fans are listening to, you know, the radio, the TV, newspapers, and the organization is telling them, oh, we can beat them. So again, I respect the fans. I don't, I, don't, I don't blame the fans at all. You know, I blame the organization and the media, right? I heard things like, Kirk Cousins is not good at football. He's not a good passer. Our pass rush was going to eat him alive. You know, we shouldn't worry about our secondary because Kirk won't even be able to throw the football because we're going to have our, our pass rush all in his face all game long. And then the game, the game was on. And the Eagles proceeded to get absolutely embarrassed in Minnesota, completely embarrassed by Kirk Cousins. Let's just say that campus around Temple University the next day was quite quiet. No one's really talking about that much. So after that game, they plummeted about six stories down. First of all, you had Zach Brown calling out Kirk Cousins before the game and getting all the Eagles fans hyped up over nothing, getting Eagles fans riled up just to knock them all down, right? They just hype up the franchise and the team so so much that so every Philly fan thinks their team is the greatest show on turf, right? Which is not the case. What happened after that game? Zach Brown got cut. Eagles fans are without a doubt passionate about the birds. They're very smart when talking about players. They can be very critical on some players, you know, which is good for a fan base. A lot of Eagles fans I've spoken to, they do recognize the weak spots of their team. Some do not, right? Some do not, obviously. This past Sunday, it was Cowboy Sunday in Philly. Everybody I was talking to saying, oh, it's Cowboy Sunday, Cowboy Sunday. A lot of Eagles fans were very hyped up for Sunday night football against the rival Dallas Cowboys. People telling me, oh, yeah, we got this, we got this. Our, our D-line is going to stuff Zeke up, put pressure on Dak. You know, in the NFL, good teams don't like getting humiliated, okay? The Cowboys got outplayed and embarrassed by the Jets, and they came out and totally... Totally. I mean, totally. They turned, that, they turned that team around from losing to the Jets to completely, absolutely spanking the Eagles. Okay, Good teams in the NFL 
never get embarrassed two games in a row. The Eagles did. They got absolutely humiliated. And the funny part about it was, today, when I'm recording this episode on Monday, I saw just as many Dallas Cowboys shirts and jerseys as I did Eagles jerseys. After the game last night, in my opinion, the Eagles plummeted about 14 stories underground. The Eagles have not beaten the Cowboys since they won the Super Bowl. You know, you see, New England's motto, where I'm from, New England's motto is do your job, right? The Patriots' motto is do your job. The Philly motto, according to what I'm hearing from the team and the organization is, we did our job, right? We did our job. That's what I hear from the team and organization. And that trickles right back down to the fan base. The Eagles got one Super Bowl and then tried to lecture everyone on how to win a Super Bowl. Bill Belichick does not talk about winning that much. He just wins. The Eagles love to talk about that one time they won. They love to talk about winning. But this year, they can't seem to get it right. Eagles, get over yourself. Don't make the fans pay to go to games that you hyped up just so they can watch Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas get burned by elite wide receivers and and good quarterbacks. Don't hype up games so much for the fans who actually love your team, your city, and your brand. You know, I can tell you that people who are from Philly, they love the Eagles, the Flyers, the Phillies, and the Sixers, and they love the city of Philly. I think Philly fans are incredible people, but I think that they're becoming the victim of a brainwash by the Eagles organization. The Eagles organization has played off the love of the fans and the love of the team, and they've taken advantage of them. The Eagles organization is, you know, all right, bear with me. They're becoming Baker Mayfield with a ring. You know, oh, we won. You know, we feel dangerous now. You know, we feel dangerous, right? That's the vibe I get, okay? The Eagles are like the guys who peaked in high school. They always want to tell you about how cool they were in high school. All the times they won games in basketball, whatever sport it was, right? They always want to tell you about how popular they were back then, right? And now they're just an average dude who hypes himself up. You know, I'm going to break track for a little for a little bit and just digress for a moment and tell you a little story. So there's this guy that I follow on Instagram. He always posts, you know, his uh, music videos, dance videos, right? And he always, like, shouts himself out, tells people to shout him out. He's always posting about how amazing his next song is going to be before he releases it, right? Usually songs are, are okay. They're, they're pretty good. Um, they obviously took a lot, a lot of hard work, a lot of time to make. But, I, I mean, I just think they're okay, you know? They're not the best. But, you know, if he didn't say a word about the song, if he just released it, if he didn't say a word about the song, if he never told anyone about his song or about how much time he spent in the studio or the stew, you know, or how absolutely fire the song is, you know, I'd be more apt to think it's amazing, right? If he just released a song, right, without telling anyone, just released it, and maybe he's put the link in his bio, maybe he put a few short clips on his Instagram or whatever, you know, I'd be more apt to think, wow, this song is actually really good right? That's exactly what the Eagles do. They hype themselves up just to get blown out, right? Just let their action, just let your actions do the talking. There's no need to come out and talk about opposing players or hype up certain players. Just let the team play. The Eagles are taking a complete advantage of their fans. They know that their fans are still going to sell out the link regardless of how they play. And they continue to tell their fans how great the games are going to be and how the Eagles are going to beat this team, and how the 
The fans are just gonna empty. The fans just empty out their wallets to watch this bum team just grab their money and get embarrassed, right? I'm sure all of you have seen clips of Nelson Aguilar either dropping passes or not going for the ball. That pretty much explains this entire team in a nutshell. And let me tell you, a lot of the problems are probably ego-based inside the locker room. You know, we have some sound from Lane Johnson about this, and I'll play it for you in a minute. Really, it's going to be a, probably a call-out session. Everybody will be held accountable. You know, little stuff that slides during the week, you know, late to practice, late to meetings, late, you know, this and that. Uh, stuff will start to be, you know, held, held accountable for, and I think that'll maybe creep into, into the games. With that being said, I think there are only two leaders in this football team right now, Carson Wentz and Lane Johnson. However, I think that half the locker room is on Carson Wentz's side, and more than half are on Lane Johnson's side, and I'll explain why. The Eagles are in a tough predicament, an interesting one, two years ago, right? Nick Foles, their backup quarterback, won them a Super Bowl, and people were quick to say that Foles is better, which is not fair to Carson Wentz at all. It seems to me like people who think that Foles is better have never watched Carson Wentz play before because talent-wise, it's not even close. It's like anything in life. If a teacher is absent for one week because they're sick and a sub comes in to fill their teacher's position, you don't automatically just call them the teacher, the, the new teacher. They're still the sub. You could call them the substitute teacher, but they're not full-time paid teachers. Right? My mother is a second-grade teacher, and I would bet all the money in the world that there is no substitute that could replace her completely. There is no sub in the world. My mom could be out for weeks, but it's still her classroom, her supplies, her students, and ultimately her class. You can't replace someone who is the franchise. And like Carson Wentz, my mom's a franchise. Nick Foles is not the franchise, and he never was. Carson Wentz is a generational talent, and there is no replacing his size, athleticism, and talent. So stop telling me that Nick Foles is better. Okay, the locker room in Philly is divided for sure between guys who think that moving off Nick Foles was a bad idea and guys who like Carson Wentz and think that keeping him was a good idea. Okay, so it's safe to say that Carson Wentz only leads half of the locker room because the other half won't even listen to him. Based on the clues that we read in the news, this is what I've uh, gathered, okay? That's one major flaw of this about this team, that people in Philly don't like to talk about as well as the fact that nobody aside from Carson Wentz and a few other guys take account for the losses and bad performances. It starts from the top. Accountability, okay? Doug Peterson. First of all, he tells fans, tells Eagles fans that he's going to beat the heck out of the Dallas Cowboys and then proceeds to get his butt kicked and humiliated and then he crawls back behind his words and acts like a coward. So if you're going to say something as outlandish as that, you might want to explain to the fans and people around the league why you got destroyed instead of being a coward and a phony. You know, I hate Doug Peterson. He gets all the credit for that Super Bowl. You know, Philly special this, Philly special that. First of all, he stole that play from a high school football team and then stole the basis of it from Dabo Sweeney. And he also takes credit for this win when most of it is because of Frank Wright. Okay? Oh but, oh, but it's cool. Okay, it's cool. You know, Frank Wright didn't write a book on how to win championships. Oh, Dougie Peterson did, I guess. You know, I looked this up, and the book is called Fearless, okay? And 
it's this book is an insult to literature in my opinion okay I'll, I'll never order i'll never read it but the synopsis of the book says and i quote how does an underdog become a champion one of the most innovative gutsy and dynamic head coaches in the nfl reveals the strategies behind building the eagles team that shocked the world by winning the super bowl oh my goodness get out of here the best part is it has a forward by Jeffrey Lurie. That, that ought to be good. That ought to be good, right? It's like at some point, Doug Peterson, you know, the Eagles have to can't just sit back and, you know, they have to at some point acknowledge that their team has massive holes that need to be filled. They want to win. That includes head coach. Okay, the locker room is divided partly because of Carson Wentz and the Nick Foles debacle, but it's also because Doug Peterson is a terrible leader and he's garnered... Pretty much zero, zero respect from his players, okay? You heard from Lane Johnson about guys missing practice, coming late to meetings, okay? That's day one stuff. That, that, that's like day one stuff that should be gone over. Like in college, you know, you get your syllabus. The first thing the professor says is, you know, uh, the late policy, the attendance policy. It's, it's important for you to come to class, to not be late, right? That's day one stuff. That's syllabus day. Okay, it's clear that that people in the locker room just don't respect him. Because why else wouldn't they show up, right? Okay, if, if a Pats player, if a Patriots player showed up late or, God forbid, didn't show up to a practice, right, he'd be gone without a blink of it. He would, he'd be gone without a thought. Bill Belichick would just, like, wave his finger. He'd be gone. Okay, he'd probably be in Cleveland or Buffalo, you know, anywhere. But this is interesting. If the Eagles don't make the playoffs this year, I think it's a done deal that Doug Peterson will no longer be the head coach of, of the Eagles. Okay, and Eagles fans can whine however they want about Doug is ruining, you know, how, you know, Doug is great, this and that, he won a Super Bowl. But in all honesty, Doug Peterson is ruining your franchise. Okay, he's ruining your team and obviously your team's suffering for it. There's no way around this, right? There's just no way. Okay, now to close this Eagles expose... I'd like to open up a question to all Eagles fans. And feel free to let me know what you guys think. Tell me, in your opinion, what do you think is wrong with this team and how can they be fixed? Okay, I'll, I'll be sure to play some answers next week. Um, yeah, let's shift to this though. So yes, I'm a Pats fan, but I think it's pretty clear and obvious to say that New England has completely separated from the entire NFL. Okay. 33-0 over the Jets is just a part of why I'm saying this, right? Just think for a moment about the teams in the NFL who we think are well-run. People think the Eagles are well-run, except, you know, I just explained why they are not. First of all, well-run organizations do not get humiliated two weeks in a row and usually don't have major flaws within their team in front office. <clears throat> Doug Peterson, Jeffrey Lurie, Harry Roseman. Ah. Uh, we are beginning to see Philly unravel, and, you know, I think Philly's a great city. I live here now, but, God, some of these fans just can't get over the fact that their team has major flaws, and that goes right back to head coach, okay? I like, the, I like Eagles fans. I think they're funny. I think they're very, they're very cool, but sometimes you got to understand that your team has major flaws, okay? Next team, Packers. You know, we think the Packers are well-run because they have Aaron Rodgers, you know, they got a pretty good defense now. But we neglect the fact that Aaron Rodgers is a 500 quarterback on the road 
in his entire career. And they just had a major franchise change last season, letting go of their head coach. So, they're not really a threat. Then people think of the New Orleans Saints. Okay, the Saints are a very good team. Second best team in the league. But not to put a damper on the Saints, because I think they're very talented, but how many Super Bowls has Drew, has Drew Brees been to? This franchise can't figure it out. They have one of the best quarterbacks of all time. One of the best, not the best, because obviously Tom Brady. They made a big stink over the awful call from the NFC Championship game, and they made it a part of their brand. You know, bad call this. Get over it, okay? Just get over it. Move on. They're, they're going to make it to the Super Bowl this year. They're going to win the NFC Championship, okay? People talk about the Rams as well. They say, oh, the Rams have Sean McVay and Aaron Donald, and oh, they got Jalen Ramsey now. Oh, oh God, the Rams are the, one of the best teams in the league. Oh, God. Get out of here. People forget that the team is so invested and involved with Todd Gurley and his new contract that they've, they've seemingly forgot how to play football. Their team is not well run, as people think. Okay. The game on Monday night was over before it even started. I, expect this, I expected this game to be a little more competitive. Maybe the Jets would get a field goal or maybe get lucky with a touchdown, but no. They got absolutely humiliated by the Patriots. The organizations are so far apart from each other, it's crazy. The Jets had an offensive lineman that refused to practice all week because he was actually injured, and the Jets proceeded to find this player, and then now it's all over the news in New York. You know, could you imagine that? Could you imagine? The week before, you have to play your biggest rival. This is one of your biggest games of the year. Instead of hunkering down, you know, bearing down, focusing on what you have to do, you make headlines because of how poorly you manage the situation. Because of how poorly you manage this situation about this player. Reports are coming out that Adam Gase never wanted to hire Greg Williams in the first place. And reports are coming out that they had a nicer relationship starting off. Okay? Imagine being a New York sports fan. Almost every team is subpar. Except for the New York Yankees. Let's, well, and the Brooklyn Nets, I guess, now. But we'll talk about the Jets. The Jets are nothing special. Dysfunctional organization. You know, you have Adam Gase, who can't do anything in the AFC, really. I mean... Then you can go over to the Giants. They have Saquon, Daniel Jones. They're better than the Jets, in my opinion. But they're, they're just average. They're probably not going to make the playoffs or anything like that. You know, then you can go over to the Mets. The Mets, Mets caught fire late in the season, but, you know, they're not going to win World Series. They're not winning World Series. It's coming up. Yankees, closest team to greatness in New York right now, but, you know, they still have a lot of problems to deal with. Then you look at basketball, the Knicks are the Knicks. I mean, anyone who's a Knicks fan is, I just feel bad for you. You're still a Knicks fan. Actually, people who are still Knicks fans, I appreciate those people. They stuck. They stick with their team through the hard times, right? It's like Sixers fans. I talked to a lot of Sixers fans. At one point, they were, they were terrible. You had to really stick with them. You had to really stick with the Sixers back in the day, back a few years ago. People who did, it's, gonna, it's probably going to work out soon, right? The Brooklyn Nets got Kyrie. I don't even want to. I don't even want to talk about Kyrie. I don't. Kyrie, in my opinion, is the biggest poison. I mean, completely ruined the Celtics franchise. 
ruin the young players. I'm glad he's out of Boston. I mean, I wish him the best of luck in New York. Actually, no, I don't. I don't wish him the best of luck. Kyrie, I, I don't care what you do, man. We're happy. We're happy we let you go. We're happy. All right. Now, what I'm starting to un understand is that New York is a huge market city. A lot of teams, you know, a lot of brands. But these New York teams are letting these fans down. These fans, compared to Boston and Philly, they're the top three fan bases in the, in the whole country, right? And it seems like with all those markets and all those talents and brands that teams can't figure it out, which makes no sense to me. This is New York. You, this is New York. You should be showing out every game. Adam Gase and the New York Jets should be, should be amazing. Or the Giants, at least, should be amazing. One, at least one team. You have two teams for every sport. And mostly they're all bad. Okay, mostly they're all bad, except for the Yankees. And if you want to say the Nets, I guess, go ahead. Okay, almost every sport, they're not, they're not very good. Okay, it's, that's opening eyes to fans who are in Boston, in Philly, Chicago. They're looking at New York now, they're, and they're saying the only team that's really competitive is the Yankees. And in a few years, maybe the Nets. But in Philly, at least, at least Philly fans have other teams to support. Okay, you have the Sixers, who just beat the Celtics, of course, but we'll forget that for a second. You know, you have the Phillies, who are also dysfunctional, let go of Gabe Kapler. And like I said, you know, they got Bryce Harper. They ate that big contract. And look what's happening with them. They're not in a good, they're not in a good place. But, I mean, the Phillies are the Phillies. You got to love them. Uh, the Flyers are doing pretty well, actually. Uh, I mean, like, let's be real here. Like, they have some, they have some filthy players. Uh, Konechny is very, is filthy. Giroux is filthy, but... They're not going to beat the Bruins. They're not going to, I mean, obviously not. But they could sneak in. They could sneak into the playoffs, maybe. Um, you know, then you look at Boston, and almost every single sport is of value in that city. You look at Patriots, absolute dynasty. Red Sox. Red Sox didn't do so well this year, but, you know, won the World Series last year. So uh, Celtics are still rebuilding. They're still on their way up. I mean, every every year in Boston, there's at least one team who makes the playoffs. I haven't I haven't lived a year in Boston without watching at least one team play in the playoffs. It's it's been every it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what team it is. There's at least one team playing in the postseason every single year in my life. Okay. Now I'm gonna go back to the to the Eagles real quick and just tell you that they are becoming so dysfunctional. And it's it's almost it seems to me that Philly fans might as well just move off to the Sixers. The Sixers are actually pretty good, so Eagles fans, you might as well just take off that green, replace it with blue and red. Go across the street to the Wells Fargo Center, watch a game there. Don't waste your money going to the Eagles games and to watch Doug Peterson, you know, trot around the sidelines acting like he's all all this and all that, right? No. Philly fans, go watch the Sixers and the Flyers, right? Eagles are a joke. If the Eagles don't make the playoffs this year, they're, they're getting rid of Doug Peterson. There's no way around that. They're getting rid of Doug Peterson. It's going to be unheard of. People are going to freak out. 
because oh wait he won us a Super Bowl oh oh why are we why are we giving him up? Doug Peterson is not a leader, and he's not respected by his players, and those are two things that professional head coaches need to have for a team. Okay. Okay, so I'm gonna give Philly fans other things to think about this year to get their minds off of the Eagles. Okay. First of all, there are three other major sports teams in within a mile of the Eagles Stadium that fans can enjoy, right? The first off, the 76ers, okay? Starting, starting, solid starting five. It pains me to say this, but I hate the Eagles so much and I hate the organization so much that I'm just going to try to give some fans a prescription to other teams that they can watch in Philly, right? The Sixers are solid. They have Embiid, who, you know, I guess is the process. I guess they... I guess Embiid is the process. I'm not, I, I don't really know. Okay, along with Tobias Harris, who is very underrated, in my opinion, the most underrated player in the NBA. He had 15 rebounds and 15 points last night against the Celtics. Okay, and now that, that pained me to watch that happen last night, but let me, I'm telling you, I'm only doing this for your good, okay? I want, I want Eagles fans to boycott the Eagles, okay? Go away from this team. Step away for a few weeks, Focus on the Flyers, the Sixers, any other team, okay? Let me, let me continue. Then you have Ben Simmons, who, who, who dated Kendall Jenner. So you can't really hate that guy. He's a good guy, of course. He also shredded the Celtics last night with 24 points, okay? There's only one guy in the Sixers who I would stay away from, and his name is Al Horford, okay? Be careful with him, okay? I'll tell you why in a later episode. I'll explain my hatred for Al Horford in a later episode. But for now, I'm just going to tell you, be careful with Al Horford. Moving on to the Flyers, okay? You guys have Claude Giroux as your captain, who is filthy, okay? As well as some supporting cast members, such as Travis Konechny? Travis Konechny, yep, that's a hard, hard name to say, but I got it. Okay, 10 points in the year, 4 goals, 6 assists, absolutely dirty. Okay, you have Oscar Lindblom with 4 goals and 2 assists so far, Okay. The tendy for the Flyers is Carter Hart. In my opinion, Carter Hart is exceedingly better than Brian Elliott, who is old, slow, cranky. All right, so make sure if you're watching, if you're a Flyers fan, if you're watching the Flyers, make sure Carter Hart remains in the net for you guys. Okay. Now we're going to move on to the Phillies. Okay, the Phillies are the second most dysfunctional team in Philly. Before the season, I thought they were number one, but after all the reports coming out off after Doug Peterson is just being a complete like donkey on live television and just saying all this random stuff about all oh, you know the team this oh, we're gonna beat the Cowboys you know the Eagles are number one dysfunctional team in Philly but I'll tell you why the Phillies are also kind of dysfunctional okay first of all they made probably the dumbest mistake in the history of baseball signings by signing Bryce Harper to a 13-year 330 million dollar contract and have they gotten their return yet on that? No. You get so they signed Bryce Harper and they got more noisy as a team. They they got Bryce Harper his whole brand, okay? That's good for the that's that's good for the city, I guess. You got Bryce Harper coming in. But let's not forget that I mean, let's not forget that they missed the playoffs this year and then they fired their head coach. Okay? I think I said this in episode 1 of the podcast. 
teams who get quiet, who let guys go, and then let their team develop, those teams get good. Just look at the Nationals right now. They let go of Bryce Harper, and they're going to win the World Series. Mark my words, they're going to win the World Series. They got quiet. They saw what Bryce Harper's been doing in Philadelphia for the Phillies. The Nationals are laughing. They are laughing right now. They just, they just let him go. And look at that. They're in the World Series right now. They're going to win it too. Okay. So it, it can be close, the Phillies and the Eagles. But I'm going to tell you why I think that the Phillies are a little less dysfunctional. And why they're better than the, the, the Eagles. Okay. The mascot for the Phillies is more entertaining and is better looking, okay? That big green guy, I, I don't know, I don't know what his name is, but definitely better than the Eagle. Bryce Harper is still a generational talent, and you would rather I would I if I was a Phillies fan or or a Philly a Philly sports fan, I would rather watch Bryce Harper strike out twice a game but hit one home run here and there than watch the Eagles get spanked by the Cowboys. That's just me. Okay, even though I'm a Boston fan, you know, I don't I can't hate the Phillies and I can't hate the Flyers because I have no problem with them because they're just lovable franchises. They have likable players and mascots. You know, the Phillies aren't coming out every year saying that, "Oh, we're going to win the Super Bowl or we're going to win the World Series." You know, the Flyers, you never really hear about the Flyers. Right? I feel like the Flyers are more of a niche team in Philly. You either really are interested in the Flyers or you're really not. Okay? Some people just don't know about the Flyers that much. But, you know, that's, what, that's just what they do. Flyers remain under the radar. Phillies remain under the radar. Well, until they got Bryce Harper, okay? The Sixers and the Eagles, they like to be cocky. They like to, you know, they like to tell you, oh, trust the process. Oh, you know, we're, we're going to win the Super Bowl. You know, let me tell you how I can win the Super Bowl, Doug Peterson. Like, like. So, Philly fans, I know that I, I know that I attacked your beloved Eagles for about 30 minutes. Okay, I hope you're still listening. Hope you didn't turn off the podcast by now. Um, but here's, please hear me out, okay? Yes, I'm a Boston fan, but I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm prescribing you this. I'm telling you that there are other teams in Philly that you should root for now, okay? Root for the Sixers. Root for the Flyers. Just turn off the TV when the Eagles come on, okay? Because you're not going to want to watch that. So boycott the Eagles, okay? Or for now... For a few weeks, just put your attention to another team. You know, don't go back to the Eagles until December, all right? The Eagles are, are figuring things out right now. Give them some time, then you can go back. But I'm telling you, I'm going to go back to what I said, that if the Eagles don't make the playoffs this year, Doug Peterson is going to be out of Philly. All right, thank you, guys. Our next segment of the podcast is called Bets, Bet, Best Bets of the Week with Theo Murray, the guru of fantasy picks. And we have him here right now to give us some picks, so... uh Let's hear those picks. All right, so we're going to start with uh, my first college pick. I'm going to go with uh, Penn State at Michigan State. Uh, Penn State's a a six-and-a-half point favorite. They're the number six team in the country. They're 7-0, and 4-0 uh, and in the Big Ten East against Michigan State, 4-3 and overall, 2-2 two and two in the Big Ten East. Uh, Michigan State is facing their third top-ten team in a row. They lost to Ohio State 
and to Wisconsin in their last two games. Uh, the good news is that they had a bye last week so they can recover and maybe do some self-scouting and change some things up. Uh, Penn State just keeps doing enough to win. Their last two games were close. They won 17-12 to versus number 20 Iowa and 28-21 to last week versus number 19 Michigan. Uh, if Penn State can keep stacking up the next couple wins, they could really be in a good spot on November 23rd when they travel to Columbus to face number three Ohio State. So, you know, being the fact that they're undefeated and they, they have a kind of favorable schedule the next couple weeks going into that Ohio State game in a couple weeks, I think Penn State wins this game, covers the six and a half points, and my prediction for a score is 27 to 17. Okay. All right. How about the second game of college for the week? My next college game, you got the number eight Notre Dame Fighting Irish traveling to the big house in Michigan against number 19 Michigan. Uh, Notre Dame's five and one. They are uh, a one point favorite in this game. Michigan's five and two. Uh, anyone that's a fan of college football will be tuning in to. Uh, you know, Notre Dame, Michigan. That's just one of those games that, that if you're into college football, that's a rivalry that, that most people are into. Now, you have the Notre Dame team, you know, is, is, is that kind of team that you either like Notre Dame or you hate them. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of compare them to, like, you know, Duke in basketball or even the Patriots with us recently. Mm-hmm. You know, like they have a fan base. They're either, you either like them or you really you hate them. And Notre Dame kind of falls into that group. Um, Notre Dame won this matchup last year, 24-17 to in South Bend. Uh, a couple stats with the rivalries. Michigan is 6-4 and four in the last 10 meetings versus Notre Dame. And they've won four straight in Ann Arbor. Uh, so, you know, the fact that they're playing in Michigan. Notre Dame this season is 1-1 one one on the road. Michigan is 4-0 at home. So, you know, it's a good matchup. And I believe that Michigan will stay undefeated in their series over the last couple games. I think that it's going to be a, a, a field goal late. And I think Michigan's going to pull out this this win at home. My prediction is 26-24 to 24, Michigan. All right. Now let's shift over to the NFL. Uh, let's go to your first pick. All right, let's see what I got for my first game. My first NFL game I have, the Washington Redskins against the Minnesota Vikings on a Thursday night. Uh, Washington's 1-6, and six, and Minnesota's 5-2. and two. So, you know, the interesting thing about this game is it's a showdown of two quarterbacks looking to get revenge on their former teams. You got Kirk Cousins, who was let go by Washington. Uh, you have Case Keenum that led the Vikings to the NFC Championship game two years ago, and now they flip-flopped. Uh, you have Adrian Peterson, who also had a history of playing with the Vikings. He'd like to uh, have a big game against his former team. Uh, unfortunately for him, Peterson, he'll be running into a wall because Minnesota has a very strong uh, defensive front. Um, a little fact about this this thing on Thursday night is teams that are favored by 14 or more points on Thursday nights are 5-1 against the spread. Minnesota is favored by 16 in this game. I think they'll keep that trend continued. Um, 
My prediction of final score is Minnesota 35, Washington 13. So okay. they'll they'll cover that 16 points, and it's also going to be a little bit higher of a score. I think the over-under is 42. They'll go over that. All right, and the second game for NFL? My NFL will go back to the world champs, New England Patriots. You have the Cleveland Browns at 2-4 and four coming into Gillette. Uh, the 7-0 and New England Patriots on Sunday at 425. Uh, Cleveland's coming off a 32-28 to loss to Seattle two weeks ago and has had plenty of rest um, to game plan. Um, they had a bye week. Baker Mayfield is dealing with a little bit of a minor hip injury, and it'll be interesting to see if he's going to be 100%. Cleveland's two best offensive weapons – may be facing some difficult matchups going against New England. You have Beckham, who's going to be locked in a battle with the league's best corner, in my opinion, Stephen Gilmore, mm-hmm. Stephon Gilmore. And then you have Nick Chubb, running back for the Browns, is going to be running into a Patriots front that has been solid. So, you know, two of their big offensive weapons are going to have a tough day. Um, you know, New England's coming off this 33 to nothing victory over the Jets on Monday night. They have short rest. But they'll be at home. Um, the Pats' offense looked good in the first half against the Jets the other day. I think Josh McDaniels had a good game plan where um, you know he allowed Brady to get rid of the ball quick. He allowed you know short timing, intermediate routes. Um, we all know that they've had their struggles with the offensive line, but by getting rid of the ball quickly, that that kind of takes that out of the picture. And I think that this same strategy is going to be used. This week against Cleveland, they're going to run those quick little timing routes. And the Patriots' defense is going to be awesome like they have been. And they're going to continue to confuse young quarterbacks. And Baker Mayfield just happens to be the next one in line. I see the Patriots winning this game 35-13. to 13. Mm. I want to get your thoughts on one more thing. Uh, Josh Gordon gets placed in the IR, and then Mohamed Sanu comes in as a trade. What do you make of the recent changes that the Patriots have made? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a, I'm very excited about Sanu coming in. And I just read a little while ago about the Gordon thing. And, you know, it looks like by them putting him on the IR, uh, I, I just I, I think his New England career might be over. I think um, it's going to get to the point where he's going to get released. Um, I kind of been rooting for Gordon because of his struggles that he has. And I felt as though New England was was one of maybe the only franchise that could kind of keep him on the right track with all the stuff he's going through. So as much as I don't think that he's like this huge help to us, you know, as far as our offense goes, I'm, I've been rooting for him personally. He seems like a good dude and he, you know, he has these struggles and he seems to be fighting through it. So it saddens me a little bit that it appears as though his time in New England might be gone. So I wish him the best. I hope everything goes well, but uh, I will have to wait and see how that goes. All right. Thanks again for another great segment. Talk to you next right. week. Good luck. Go Pats. All right.
That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, DM me on Instagram for any suggestions for next week. And if you want to be a part of the show, thanks again for listening, guys. Peace out.